Hey, thanks everybody for being here. Um, this is the Queer Experiences in Gaming panel. Um, we hope to offer advice to both um, queer players and people who are not um, in an attempt to make tables um, more inclusive and more welcoming and a more, um, I want to say safer, but that's a little, little stronger word than I was hoping for. Um, so I am Bridget. I am the most innovative GM of Role Playing Public Radio. Um, I'm sure that if you're here, you've probably at least heard of some of my stuff, or you're a huge Thrilling Intent fan. <laughs> I have nothing to do with Thrilling Intent, but I appreciate that you're here anyway. Um, so my co-panelists are... Uh, hello, I'm David with Roleplaying Public Radio. Um, I'm a gay gamer and have been for 38 years. Uh, I'm Matt. Uh, I'm from the uh, from the Drunk and Ugly podcast. Uh, I'm also run Drunk and Ugly Games LLC, which is currently in the process of producing its second game. Um, I've uh, only come out uh, recently, but uh, like, well, recently being a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been gay for as long as I've been gaming. Nice. Um, so the first thing that I kind of wanted to talk about today is the idea of safety, like creating a safe table environment, um, mostly to benefit yourself, but to also um, benefit your players. Um, and I think one of the main ways to achieve that is to um, remind everyone that you have a kind of advocacy. Like um, if you're going to play it'd be any kind of game, if it's a board game, if it's a tabletop game, or if you're playing video games or whatever, like it's an equal stake. Like it's not just dominated by whoever is GMing it or whoever his house it is. Although I guess if you wanted to start a fight, you'd have to leave. Um, so one of the ways, so we want to encourage, uh, encourage the idea of cooperation above all things. Like remember that everyone has an equal stake in things. And it's always best to um, make sure that, that everyone feels comfortable voicing things to you, even if it's um, conflict. Um, and so one of, the, one of the easiest things for that, as far as like tabletop gaming goes, is the notion of X cards. Like if you've been on any other kind of panel, and on like any women in gaming panel, I'm sure if you've heard about the idea of X cards, which is just um, an item that you have on your person. Um, it can be anything, any kind of token. And if something comes up in play that makes you uncomfortable or makes you feel uh, unsafe, um, you can just sort of like slide that card out or tap it or like signal to it in a way to let people know that you're uncomfortable, um, that your idea of safety is threatened without having to um, directly engage that. Yeah, I know the, um, I think the card by the Apocalypse game, Monster Hearts, actually has that built in. And that they specifically they specifically added as a safe word that if something is encroaching on uh, uncomfortable places, you just say safe heart, and we step back and we talk about what's happening before we move on. And I can also speak to uh, Magpie Games. Um, if you go upstairs and you take a look at room, I think it's two forty-five where they're demoing everything. Every single table has a series of X cards all the way around. So uh, there are companies now that are even going to the point of making sure that during their demos, they make sure that um, everybody knows that they are in a safe space and that if you hit subject matter that is uncomfortable for you, all you have to do is simply touch the card and everybody will, or we will listen. Uh, whoever is running the game will listen. Um, so, like, I think part of what experts facilitate is the idea of communication. Um, like, you need to, um, if you're, like, running something, um, there's kind of a bit of a burden on you in order to be able to talk to people and welcome them in. 
Um, so just naturally, like um, running games, like as a jam, like that's kind of the skill you just develop over time because, like, that's literally why people come to play games with you is for you to communicate things to them. Um, but more importantly, like you need to be open to the idea of communication. Like um, when people are telling you things, you need to make sure that you listen beyond the concept of just like hearing the words. Like because um, a lot of times people hedge things. Like they want to see. Um, how you're going to react to something before they tell you how they actually feel. Um, so sometimes people will start talking about how they're uncomfortable about something, not just by saying straight up, you know, like, this makes me uncomfortable. Like, that's kind of the function of X cards, is to make that simpler. But if you don't have those, like, um, people usually start with something really, really small. And so trying to understand those gestures and then figure out where they come from in order to open up that more uh, is definitely extremely important. And just to give an example that I encountered recently in running a game, um, I had absolutely no idea that one of my players had a deep-seated phobia of wolves. And I had originally set up this encounter um, to involve a bunch of wolves. And so when I mentioned that there were going to be wolves in this thing, she said, please, can it be anything but wolves? And because I, I've known this lady for almost eight years. I have never known the first thing about this because we live in a nice city area where wolves are not a thing. But when she mentioned it as far as the game was concerned, it was a nice easy switch. It's okay, instead of wolves, how do you feel about bears? Can we do bears? How about pumas? Can we make it a lynx? And so you just find the thing, and if all you need for the encounter is big, scary creature, you can find one that's less scary, that's more comfortable for your players. And this example just kind of fits for pretty much anything. Um, if you've got anything that makes you uncomfortable, but you don't give voice to what makes you uncomfortable, we really can't do anything to change it. But as soon as you open those lines of communication, we can make this a collaborative game because games by their very nature are supposed to be fun. And if you're uncomfortable, you're obviously not going to be having fun. And like another thing I want to say is like, um, if you don't feel comfortable communicating in the space you're in, there's no reason to continue to suffer in it. Like if you don't have an X card or something or like people don't seem to be going, um, like respecting that enough, like, it's totally okay to get up and leave. Like, you don't need... There's no a near amount of propriety that is worth sacrificing um, your comfort for. Um, I had the misfortune of sitting through something like six hours of that in an attempt to just, like, sort of um, reinforce my position of obligation uh, where I had said things that were making me uncomfortable or things that had gone a little too far. And so... I understand that you might have a sense of commitment and you might be playing with people that are your friends or like close acquaintances. Um, try to remember that the one who ultimately has power over you is yourself. Uh, it's always okay to leave. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the no gaming is better than bad gaming kind of concept. Um, yeah, if something's making you uncomfortable, uh, yeah, there's other, there's other things you can do with your time. This is just one hobby. You and your friends can find other things to do together. Um, so another thing that I've found is helpful um, is when uh, I joined RPPR, it was pretty much just a bunch of dudes sitting around playing um, Delta Green. 
Um, so it was a very sort of like homogenous sort of um, environment. Um, so uh, other than David, it kind of feels like um, being a fish out of water a little bit. A little bit. Uh, hey, I'm just glad there's two of those fish now. <laughs> well, three if we count fat. Absolutely count fat. So one of the ways that like you can help make a space that you're a part of or like a regular thing you're a part of is sort of the idea by leading by example um, because once there's one of you it's much easier to um, encourage more people who want to play but have certainly felt um, marginalized or pushed back um, you can change the environment um, like the assumed environment that you're in into something that is more welcoming so that people can find a place inside of it um, so one of the ways I've started doing this is um, when I leave my games, I like to uh, s- introduce myself first, um, just because that breaks out. Uh, it sets a model, it sets a script that other people feel comfortable following, because like, sometimes you don't feel good advocating for yourself. Um, you, you kind of only jump in on something. Um, and this actually uh, surprised me. So um, I, I've started starting my games by saying my name, um, doing the whole thing about RPPR's most innovative GM, uh, and then uh, lead in with my pronouns. Uh, and this has been beneficial to me in a very surprising way um, because I was playing um, a game where someone decided to use new pronouns for like the first time, which is not something we expected. Um, but that makes me feel really good that, um, that we had made the space comfortable enough, made the space open enough that they would feel comfortable doing that. Um, so that's definitely like something... Uh, some kind of encouragement I want to give to you like sometimes especially in this hobby like I'm sure you've noticed walking around it kind of seems like everybody sort of blends together um, but it's not the way I saw it like several years ago and I think that's because um, the, the idea of leading by example how do you have that? Um, so like I got. I was kind of lucky in this, in that like the group that I first joined in was uh, more than more than half of the group. More than half the group were uh, were gay. By uh, were they, they weren't your they weren't your Steves. Let's say that it wasn't all it wasn't all cis white males. Um, it was it, it was it was a diverse group to start with, and so we were very good at understanding each other's boundaries. So I didn't kind of have to uh, I didn't have to bring myself in or try and. Uh, force myself into that. In fact, they kind of brought it out of me more than anything else. Um, it was through, it was honestly through playing with that group that I actually realized that I might not be straight, which was uh, kind of a revelation for me. And I realized full well that I am one of the lucky ones. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I'm six foot one. Um, I'm about 200 pounds. I'm the little one. (laughs) Um, I was able to be myself for a long time because I had this human mountain standing guard over me. And so I learned how to be myself at an early age. And I want to also mention that as far as RPPR is concerned, uh, Tom, Ross, Sean, and I were all part of a high school gaming group. And so about the time that I was coming out, um, I came out to my two best friends, which were Tom and Sean. And 
Sean's response was, yeah, we knew we were kind of taking bets as to how long it was going to take you to admit to that. <laughs> so my group has always been a kind of a safe group because I got to start with my best friends. And because of that, um, it's kind of set a precedent for me in my own life. Whenever I go to a new group, I am who I am. Um, I kind of steamroller them over with love. I just kind of say, this is who I am. Um, you can accept me or not. And the groups that decide that they don't want me to be around, I just say, thank you for your time, and I move on. Um, I have found far, far more groups that are willing to take me in. And I think it's because I don't hide a thing about who I am. I don't step back. But I'm also well aware of the fact that I have the man mountain still looming over my shoulder in my background. Even if he's not there, his influence is, or at least I feel it. And I think that that's what makes every single game that I go to a safe space. So that's why I say I'm one of the lucky ones. I don't think that I've ever really felt unsafe at a table, just because... I know that I've always got a group that has my back. And once you find that group, hang on to that group. Just piece of advice. Yeah, I think we've been very fortunate with um, RPPR. Um, I don't know if you've noticed my early Patreon games. Like, I kind of made sure that I kind of stacked the deck with people that I knew. And part of that was just for my comfort. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. In your um, own uh, games and things like that, especially if you end up running things at, or playing in things at this convention... Um, please use the buddy system. Like, always just bring people you know, um, because then it's easier to feel more comfortable um, advocating for yourself when you know that you have a friend right there. Um, but there's something I kind of want to um, point out that's kind of unrelated to this. I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, and I have a phrase that I like to say, um, don't hard boil eggs. Like, if you are 95% sure that somebody sitting at the table with you is queer, but they haven't made any kind of mention to it, like, don't mention it for them. Like, it's not your job to out people, um, and certainly that is a great way to violate somebody's sense of safety, somebody's sense of trust, um, and it can only ever harm people. So, like, I know that, like, sometimes, like, you want to be so encouraging that you kind of, like, go overboard and be over-encouraging, but, like, please... Try to resist that urge, because um, like as, com as comfortable as comfortable as people like will eventually be with you, like if you could kind of jump that gun early, like um, you can never come back to that. Very, very yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in general, that's I, I maybe I'm misusing that word. It seems like you, you're you're sort of prejudging them. Let's say if you say this person feels very gay. <laughs> And then you kind of point that out. It's that's um, on top of everything else. Just in general, that's very rude to just kind of try and do that. Um, but David, you have something? Well, um, slightly humorous story along those lines. Um, so for years and years, um, since we're all local and we're all friends, and we all tend to go places together, you know, the guys in RPPR. When we're not playing games, um, those of us that have day jobs work them, um, 
we also tend to watch movies together. We'll go out to eat. Um, I can't tell you how many times that it's been the latest superhero flick has come out and we've decided to go as a group. And for a couple of years, um, every time that we went to a restaurant, um, Aaron and I could not sit together because people would automatically assume that the two of us were a couple. Now, Aaron is cisgender. He is about as hetero as they come, and he's uh, got a very, very lovely girlfriend. But people would take a look and assume, well, he's got a little bit of long hair, and look who he's sitting next to. And, yeah, flip side of that, I've got co-workers that I've known for years that look at me and say, oh, wait a minute, you do stuff with the gay group at work? But are you? Okay, let's connect a couple of dots. Fondness for a color that is traditionally feminine, check. Um, more jewelry than Liberace stunt double, check. Uh, better manicure than 90% of the women in this building, and I work on a computer. Uh, sometimes the stereotypes fit just a little bit. I mean, I broadcast it, I really do, but that's because I. But that's the thing about making the assumptions. And if you are 95% sure, that's still the possibility that you're going to roll a one on that 20 <laughs> and fumble the roll. So even if you think that somebody presents a certain way, wait until they say it, because there's a world of difference, too, between I'm gay versus Matt being bisexual. It, we're, we're in the same circle. We're both in the rainbow alphabets, but we do have the different letters. And so once you start making assumptions, you're going to start pigeonholing a person, and you may be pigeonholing them in a hole that they don't belong in. So just be patient, be encouraging, and uh, be open. But also remember to let them take the first move. And also, if someone says something to you in confidence outside of the table, because you are patient, you're open, and you're waiting, that is not a license to say it to everybody else at the table. Um, wait until the big announcement is made. Wait until somebody actually comes all the way out. Because remember, we also take baby steps. We tend to confide in the people that we care about most to test the waters before the big announcement. So if someone says to you, hey, just so you know, that is not licensed to tell everybody at the table. Learn from my mistakes. Um, and speaking of the mistakes, like if you do do something wrong or you do push into an area that makes somebody uncomfortable, um, that's not the end of things. Um, it's very common um, that like, maybe you slip up, maybe you use the wrong pronoun. Um, that's okay. It's not the end of the world. Um, but it's important that you do something to fix that. Um, you need to immediately address the problem. And it's not enough to just point out that there was a problem. Um, you need to do something that fixes it. Um, you always remember that the people sitting at the table are more important than the game you're playing at the table. Um, so if you have to sacrifice any amount of fiction, um, that is completely fine to make sure that the people who are playing still want to continue playing. Um, so if it's like a pronoun slip up, uh, happens quite a lot. Try not to, nobody wants to be made a center of attention and especially made the center of attention for a bad way. Um, so just immediately correct yourself. 
But if this whatever uh, whatever mistake you've made has gone further than that, um, you need to make sure that you stop play, uh, and if necessary, have a private conversation um, with the person who was affected. Um, because again, it's more important that we take care of the people playing with us than than to worry about the entire structure of the game itself. As in all things, just life comes first. If, if something like this, you know, the, the 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 safety and comfort of your friends is more important than your game of make believe. Um, and you should always remember that, no matter how long the campaign's gone, no long, no matter how long the the session is. If somebody has a problem, then that's a real thing you have to address. That's more important than any kind of role playing scenario. Um, I know there's uh, not for um, not for any particular um, like queer reasons. I know we've had to. I know there have been sessions that we've that were things of, of our games uh, at the Drunken Ugly where we've had to go back and address things because uh, somebody stepped too far and we had to stop it and talk about it and then kind of come back at it in a in a in a different way and yeah. Just make sure that, and you know, I think the longer you go without addressing the issue, the harder it becomes to address, and the worse off everybody's going to be. And I need to say that, like, this is something like that is um, the burden of one, the person who's like running it, but also the two, the person who's made the mistake. Um, and, you need, and again, you need to make sure that you actually communicate with people and that they actually. Um, wrap back around and say, yeah, all right, all right, I feel like this has been addressed. Because a lot of times, like, um, if you do something, like, people just won't say anything, um, especially if they're, like, extremely bothered. Um, they'll just kind of nod along and then just never come back next week, and you'll never hear from them again. So um, don't let things get out of control. Again, it's always more important to stop and fix things. Yeah, the two hardest words to say and the two most important words to say are I'm sorry and even when you say it um, there's also a tendency now where someone will say I'm sorry but in my defense and then will immediately try to explain away Um, if you're the one that crosses the line all you need to say is I'm sorry I messed up how can I fix this? And if you're sincere about that, your fellow player whose toe you stepped on is going to understand and is going to most likely tell you, this is what you did wrong. I accept your apology. Please don't do that thing again. And you'd be amazed at how quickly you can build that bridge with just that exchange. So don't qualify the apology because that makes it a weaker apology. Just remember... I'm sorry, I messed up, how can I fix this? And if you are direct and you're open and you're honest with your group, that will fix more than anything else, just those three phrases. Yeah, and I I mean also in life itself. I think there's a, um, going to an example outside of gaming, I know um, Patton Oswalt on his Twitter recently has been, got some flack for some, uh, for saying, a, a few slurs in uh, comedy routines like five or six years back and he when people called him out on it he said yes I'm, I I said that I, I sincerely messed up 
I was going for a cheap laugh. I've learned my I've learned from my mistakes. I'm not going to do that again, and I apologize to those who were offended. And it's just if, it, if you know it works it works for big celebrities. It can work for you and your friends. Um, before we started, I was discussing with David, or he was telling me rather, um, about this idea of playing the long game, um, where sometimes it's difficult to see success um, or to see um, any kind of change in the short term. Um, but it's always worth attempting to create these safe spaces um, to do um, your best to make people feel welcome, um, even if you get some kind of pushback. Um, I mean, like, negative pushback where people are like, oh, I think that these kind of warnings are dumb, or, like, why do you open up your things with um, announcing people's pronouns? Because it's... Those are not the kind of people that you're trying to make this space for. Um, and eventually it pays off. Like, the more you make the idea of communication, um, of taking responsibility for things, apologizing for things, making people feel welcome... Um, the more that becomes the norm, like, that influence spreads out through other things. And so, like, it can definitely be extremely difficult, like, when you feel like you're the only one in that sort of situation. But, like, you're almost never the, um, you're almost always never the only one. And there is definitely somebody, like, sitting on the sideline who is extremely glad that you're doing what you're doing. And because of what we do with the podcasting, um, one of the things that I've learned just at this Gen Con is that you never realize how many people are actually listening. You never know how many people have heard the podcast, how many people have heard this particular game, and how if Bridget does what she does at the start of every game, if we all start doing that, we're going to make every one of these games a safe space, and it's going to become the norm a little bit easier. Um, Every day we change the world. Um, I think I've got a few years on my uh, fellow panel members here. Maybe one or two. A little bit. A gentleman does not ask a lady her age, but I will tell you I am 38. So just so you know, I am starting to get to the, uh, you kids, uh, back in my day, let me get my reminiscent teeth out. (laughs) Get your dice off my lawn. (laughs) But... um, I can remember when the spaces were a lot less safe than they are now. And I've seen the change that's been wrought just over my lifetime so far. And we're going to change the world one tiny step at a time. And as long as we are all taking those steps together, as long as we are all moving forward, even if it's just a tiny little bit, the next generation is going to have it better. And then the generation after them is going to have it better still. And I know that the message of it gets better may come across as a little trite, a little old school, but I just want to tell you that it is true. It it does get better. It has gotten better. And we're going to make it still better yet. Um, Back when the Pokemon card game first came out, um, I have to tell a tiny story on myself here. I got politely asked to leave a game store because I was playing cards with children, and I was being nice to the kids and trying to teach them good table etiquette. I was going out of my way to make sure that they learned how to win and lose as gracefully on each, Um, that they learned proper table manners as far as make sure your opponent knows that it's their turn, 
after the second round, the game store owner pulled me aside and said that a couple of parents had complained that I was making them uncomfortable because I was being nice to their children. Now, this comes back to that long game because while I did leave the store that day, um, these children have grown up and they've turned into lovely young ladies and polite young gentlemen. And I've encountered them at other places within my game store community because while I stopped playing that game, I mean, I did leave with poise, with dignity, and ate a half gallon of Haagen-Dazs and cried my eyes out, but that's neither here nor there. The important part of the story is that 15 years later, it turfed out in the best way possible. I start running into these young gentlemen, these young ladies, and they still have that table etiquette, and they remember me as the Pokemon guy. <laughs> and so, if I can make one child grow up into a young adult who has that good table etiquette, who teaches that good table etiquette to his or her friends, that means that I have changed the world in a better way. And I will personally get politely asked to leave a hundred game stores for that. Because every win like that is a win in the long game. And it may look like it's a small win at first, but that's going to be a chain reaction because little Billy is going to teach his friends how to play the game the way that he learned. Little Jane is going to teach her friends the same way. And while I got politely asked to leave the one store, I see the influence and it's still a win. So remember, even if it's just a little thing, if it's just a tiny movement for the right direction, we're playing the long game here, people. And we're going to win in the end. We're going to win on points in the end because it's going to start snowballing. It's going to start that chain reaction. And that's what we're after. Now, who wants to make the world a better place with me? Can anything so, um, before we open for questions, I would like to throw a couple of shout-outs. There's a couple of games that we've uh, seen that are starting to be really gender-inclusive and wonderful. Um, I'd like to start with uh, The Drunk and Ugly is developing a game called Goblin. Mm -hmm. uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about that one, Matt? Um, yeah, so this is a, uh, it's a comedy game about uh, goblins uh, from a... Uh, goblins that were banished from their home dimension into a um, what ended, what is essentially sort of a post-apocalyptic area, um, which is an, essentially an interdimensional garbage dump where all the banishing spells uh, send everything. Um, and they're uh, they really like they actually like living there because uh, it's full of uh, guns and bombs and things that explode when you poke them enough times. Um, and they're about as robust as cartoon characters. They can eat anything. Um, so it's their playground, and they are free from their oppressors, the dragons and uh, warriors and all that of the like. Um, and one of the things that we kind of have in here is that um, is uh, that the goblins are um, the goblins. We we have ascribed no uh, real we've ascribed no real sex to the goblins. We've kind of left that part out. Uh, goblins are uh, goblins can be can be uh, assigned whatever gender you feel. Um, I think for the uh, for the benefit for for the uh, for the benefit of uh, pronouns in general, I, I'm trying to remember. We we wrote a thing in there that um, I think we wrote that they that they 
that primarily I think they go by he, but that's because that's a that's a shortening of a goblin of a goblin word for person. And I can't remember it off the top of my head now. Um, but that's also the result of hiring a uh, hiring an editor who kind of edited for sensitivity and pointed out that um, just saying that goblins identify as he as the default is a little is not very inclusive and also provided a couple of uh, also provided a couple of other things. Um, and if you, uh, I know she's very busy right now, but if you uh, want to uh, uh, hire Laura Briskin, she's a very good editor um, with very uh, with very good prices. So I would, uh, if you have a project that you need done, uh, she's she's a little busy right now, but um, she may be able to take on projects in the future. She's there in the back. She's way back there in the back. Hi, Laura. That's yes. Um, I wanted to talk about um, Blue Roll, Blue Rose, really quick. Um, Crystal Fraser um, turned me on to this yesterday. If you want to go down to the Green Ronin booth, I'm sure there's a ton of copies left. And the basic premise of the game is that things used to be terrible. Um, the world used to be. Um, it's a, sort of a fantasy setting, so the world used to be ruled by that giant evil empire, or whatever. And so a while ago, it was defeated. And so everything didn't magically go back to being um, kittens and rainbows all the time. Um, so the goal of the game is to play um, characters who are attempting to go out and fix things, make things better, uh, essentially like find problems and turn them into assets for the community. Um, and the way Crystal sold us us specifically on it was to say that you can play trans lesbian psychic cats who are detectives for a queen and like that's every every dot I think you need to hit <laughs> I would play that yeah you can be Corey I just think that's a point everyone should know Corey's yes okay you definitely sold me <laughs> I like being able to play a character with five adjectives yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> right as long as one of them's purple. <laughs> and um, I wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Magpie Games' Apillion. Um, as discussed, I am an old dog, and it takes me a while to learn the new tricks. So I still have a lot of trouble with the pronouns, and I'm working on it. I really am. And I apologize just in advance that I am still having the trouble. But... Um, after playing a couple of uh, games of Apillion, uh, which I can basically describe as My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, but with dragons instead of ponies. <laughs> and a system that really encourages it, because you start with a pile of friendship gems that your gems can be used to fuel the other player's magic, but not your own. They do you absolutely no good. But if you've got a bunch of players who are sitting around the table and they start acting to the virtues that you want, you get to pass them out, and then they can use your gems and Bridget's gems to power your sp- or to power the spells. And so it, it behooves you to basically be friends with everyone at the table. But um, because of the way that the dragons are gendered, uh, there is a specific set of pronouns to be used within the game. And so for those of us who are still learning and trying to practice, it's a good way to stealth practice. You know, I'm going to get myself in the habit of using these dragon pronouns, 
And now that I've gotten myself in the habit of using these dragon pronouns, now I can teach myself a little bit better how to use pronouns in real life because we use games as teaching tools. And it's just also a really cute little game. I highly recommend everybody play. I think that's a good one to do. Do you want to pick one more game you want to talk about? Well, um, I could mention Paizo and uh, all of the things that they've been doing for gender inclusiveness within their games, uh, Pathfinder and Starfinder. Um, but I could rant on that for days. And <laughs> I don't think that we necessarily need to rant on that for days. Just Paizo good. And, if you uh, want somebody to rant on that, make sure you go find Crystal Frazier at the Paizo booth. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Or um, look for anything purple wandering around in the dealer room. That's probably me. <laughs> um, so I wanted to open up to questions because I'm sure you um, all have tons of things that you'd like to talk about that we didn't think about. Um, so unfortunately, I have no microphone. We have no sound system. So if you could just raise your hand and be as loud as you possibly can be, I would really appreciate it. We may also just re- uh, repeat questions for the benefit of yes, recording. Yes, we will. Um, so, obviously this is something that might, you know, would heavily be on a case-by-case basis, but if you have, like, one player who's just kind of not getting things through the comfort of others, like, they're pressing if someone uses the next card, or, um, or they're well actually a lot or something, um, do you find it more useful usually to, like, address it at the table or just kind of take them aside for the next time you break or anything else? Like, how so the, do you approach that? Yeah, so the question that is asked is if you have a player that's being problematic, um, do you address it at the table or do you um, speak, speak to them between, uh, between games or something yeah. like that? Um, I would say that if it's, if it's like a small thing or if it's like the first time, um, that's probably something that is, is, again, assuming everyone is still comfortable and everyone is still having a good time, you're just like, hey, I noticed that you did this thing and it kind of made... Um, that's probably something you can bring up in between games. But um, if it's like a repeat offense or if it's something that you've had to talk about before, that's definitely something that you need to talk about right then. Um, and I think one of the possible solutions is definitely um, like dismissal. Like, if somebody can't play well with others, like, it's it sucks, especially, like, if everybody's still your friends. But, like, um, if if people won't treat others with respect, you can't allow them to stay at the table. Yeah, I think there's the, what is it, the paradox of tolerance. Um, if you've given them a warning and they are not getting it... Um, I think well, the paradox of tolerance is we cannot we cannot tolerate the intolerant because intolerance will continue to breed more intolerance. And so, if you've given if you've given them repeated warnings and they're they're just not getting it, um, I know some people aren't trying to be malicious. Um, they just have no sense of boundaries or space. And you know, I take it up with I take it up with your group um, just as a general sanity check. And I would talk to the other person um, for uh, for for uh, I'd usually take people aside and talk to them uh, talk to them one on one so I can be personal with them and try to avoid kind of dogpiling the issue. But if it's an issue that's affecting your whole group, I feel like there's sort of a point where it's we need to we need to sit down and talk about this person to person because this can't the, we we can't continue with this. We don't like this. You need to stop doing this. Um, 
And yeah, I, that's my solution to it. It's it's not it's not a fun situation. It sucks. It really sucks. But you got to do what's necessary. Well, again, we just keep coming back to that communication. Um, if somebody keeps stepping on toes and doesn't realize they're doing it, you need to have that warning. You need to say it aloud. You need to kind of address it because sometimes, especially when you've got uh, folks from a certain background, um, one of the biggest advocates that I have ever met uh, for LGBT rights still insists on calling us the gays. But she's from a different generation. She's 75 years old. She says, the gays are some of the most wonderful people. <laughs> Honey, I love you so much. Can you please get a vocabulary update? Can we work on this? Yeah, I'm not saying gays. Oh, uh, no, we don't. Um, I'm also... I'm, I'm also editing myself a little bit. She uses a couple of other words. I've gotten her down to the gays, as opposed to the other ones, and I'm just not going to say it here. But yeah. Oh, grandma. More great aunt, but yes, you get what I'm saying. Um, it's kind of the same thing. You might run into somebody who doesn't realize that they're stepping on toes or being offensive, so you have to have that warning. Um, if they continue to step on the toes, the very least that you should do is put a little bit of distance. You can say, okay, we've, we've warned you about this. You keep using that word. And if you keep using that word, we can't have you at the table. We told you that we can't have you at the table. So maybe it's best for you to not play with us. And if this person is a good friend and you want to give them a chance to come back to the table, let them sit in timeout for a little bit. Let them hit the reset button and then bring them back if you really, really want to. But make sure that they know the ground rules from the start. Um, if it's the, you keep making the same mistake, if you make this mistake again, we're not going to let you come back. But, you know, draw that hard line. And then once you've drawn the hard line, stick to it. Um, and I guess that's all I got. I have a long involved two-part question. <laughs> okay. First, um, so the point that you made about games is like teaching tools, and uh, and I, I think a lot about especially role-playing games as a way to sort of have an experience that's completely outside of your own life. I'm curious if any of you guys have suggestions or ideas about um, games that exist that are good to help our friends understand, sort of like uh, have an experience have an experience of what it feels like to be a queer person living in a heteronormative world. Where, like, so like games, characters, storylines that sort of like help people like feel like they're living that experience a little bit and have a little more of like a, a, a personal understanding of it. Part two is, besides Blue Rose, um, are there other uh, sort of queer utopia that you're like on the sort of like, as a queer person who wants to escape living in a shitty heteronormative world with Donald Trump as our president, um, what, uh, and maybe wants to be a, a psychic kitten. Um, well, what hey, psychic kittens are really cool. Yeah. So <laughs> um, teaching straight people queer paradise. Yeah. So um, the yeah the question that was asked is, um, do you have advice for either making or systems that um, have a way to teach um, people empathy, um, the idea of uh, understanding what it's like to be othered, um, and systems that sort of. And also the second part was systems that support 
um, the escapist notion. Um, and you really should have been here for the panel yesterday. I know! Because uh, that, that was almost, that's almost everything we talked about. Um, I don't have, unfortunately, don't, I don't have um, a suggestion for something that teaches empathy. Um, so that's definitely something that I want to possibly work on rolling into games because, like, certainly, like, um, most of the people I pay with, play with at RPPR are not necessarily queer. Um, and so kind of, like, working that into um, design tops is something I'm going to be working on. Um, and then as far as um, escapist games go, um, the reason why I pointed out Blue Rose and only Blue Rose is because it's the only one I can remember right now. But if you get back to me on Twitter, I will definitely have more uh, options. And uh, I've got one that is on the tip of my brain, but I'm also running on three hours sleep and caffeine, nicotine, and spite, as I usually do for a day. Um, but there was an uh, apocalypse... Engine, I think the one where you use the 2D6. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a lovely set of playbooks that uh, just kickstarted not that long ago, and I really, really wish that I could remember the name. Of Dream Skew? That would be the Dream one. Dream Skew. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Dream Skew. We'll get to that. Oh, yes. Um, if you can find uh, Dream Skew and uh, I think it's Dream Askew and Dream Apart, but Dream Askew is the uh, the explicitly other one, and it would be a good one for... I haven't had a chance to play it because it just kickstarted, but I've heard some wonderful things. I've backed it, and I'm eagerly awaiting it to come in so that I can see exactly what it entails. Um, sir, I'm sorry, you were saying? Uh, it's, it look, uh, go to buriedwithoutceremony.com. It's available. Uh, Dream Askew is available for free. Um, yeah, I believe the Kickstarter was for the cool published book that includes Dream Apart. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, because I like everything in Dead Tree version. I don't do PDFs well, old dog. <laughs> um, yeah, as far as as far as games that uh, teach empathy, I just I think it just kind of goes back to I think there was that um, Washington Post article that just says I don't know how to tell you you should care about other people. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but I mean. Man. I think a game. I think as far as I don't, I can't think of any games straight out that tell that that tell the experience of be of specifically being queer in a heteronormative world. But there are certainly a lot of games where you are where you are an other, and people do not like you because you are an other. Um, one I can point to immediately is the game Monsters and Other Childish Things, um, which has a. Um, that's a that that can span a lot of different kinds of feelings, I'll say, from like Adam's family and Saturday morning cartoon to like really really dark things if you want to go there. But one of the settings in there is uh, I want to call it Welcome to Mars, where the basic premise of Monster and Childish Things is sort of Calvin and Hobbes meets Call of Cthulhu, where the main characters are child are, are children like children up to high school age who have monster friends that are elder chores beyond time and space that cause you to go crazy when you look at them. And I don't want to compare being queer to having an eldritch abomination as a friend, but one of the things, that's, that's not what I want to do at all. I'm just talking about the idea of being an other. 
because one of the things in this game is that all of you are all of you are others because you have these monster friends that are like tactical nukes that you can throw at your problems and probably make your problems worse by using them. But also, in um, there's a setting in there called Welcome to Mars, which is a high school setting where monsters are known about. People don't people aren't as afraid of them as they were. But if but you're kind of registered and people know you have monsters and they kind of look at you in an odd way and that causes you as the kids to sort of band together and kind of stick with each other. So I don't have anything specifically about this particular thing, but there are a lot of games that put that, that put you as a put you as a person who is oppressed for varying reasons, um, let's say. And I'm, I'm hoping I did not. Uh, I'm hoping I did not make improper comparisons, uh, uh, a la David Cage, um, <laughs> by saying these things. That was not my intent. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, I don't have time for any more questions. Yes, um, this panel is only supposed to be an hour, so I'm sure someone will come along and be very upset with us if they're still here. Yes. Um, if you want to know more about Goblin, please come up and grab a card. Um, yes. My business cards are there. If you want to be able to follow me on Twitter or see my stuff. Um, we've got ribbons, um, which are uh, brought to us from, I'm sorry, which uh, group? TabletopGamers.org. TabletopGamers.org. Um, um, we've got the gamer and ally tags, Yeah. unfortunately we don't have any of the program tags. Unfortunately. But if you want to come grab a ribbon, please feel free to do so. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Yeah.